yeah, I'm glad to know God's got the world in his hands. You know, they, they think they can, where do I go here? They think, Miss Cheryl, it's good to see you. I know. Uh, you know, they, they think they're running the world without God. They think they just go around and do what they want. They can reject God. They can say, you know, God doesn't exist because of this. God doesn't exist because of that. How can a loving God do this? How can a loving God do that? And they, they do all of that to try to smear out the judgment at the end. But the fact is, God knows what's going on. God's got his hand on everything. God had his hand on Jacob when he got a little astray. God had his hand on Abraham when he messed up a little bit over there with Pharaoh and and saying his wife was his sister. You know, God's had his hand on Pharaoh when he thought he was going to keep the Israelites. And uh, I'm just, I know God's got his hand on this country. And, uh, you know, whatever your politics are, it doesn't matter. But God's got his hand on it. And uh, the most importantly, does God have his hand on you? You may be a non-believer and God's got his hand on you, but as a believer, you're in his hands. You're, you're, you have a destination fixed. All right, let's turn to uh, Daniel chapter number four or Daniel chapter number five. Daniel chapter number five. You know, we were in Daniel for a few weeks, and uh, we were looking at Daniel had purposed in his heart, right? And I jumped over a couple because I was focused on Daniel. But there's this one part here in uh, Daniel, and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a little say. And this is, and that's over in chapter four. We're going to get there. But King Nebuchadnezzar writes, I was talking to Didi, you know, she said it's almost like a, a journal entry. And, uh, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, something happened to him. Something changed him. Something affected him. And he felt it was important enough to write it out in a letter to let everyone in the nation know. And he wanted them to know something. And uh, this is what happens when God gets personal with you. When God becomes something more to you than just something you've seen in a book or seen on paper or saw someday or heard about someday. When God gets personal. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 5, verse number 18. Daniel's talking to Belshazzar. Now, we're not going to get into it, but Belshazzar had messed up and he, he uh, saw the handwriting on the wall and he got scared and his mom told him about Daniel and Daniel came and talked to him. We're not going to go into all that, but Daniel summarizes what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter number four. In verse number 18, he says, O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. All those blessings come from God. You got a car, you got it from God. You got anything, you got it from God. You got family, you got it from God. But it says, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew and whom he would, he kept alive and whom he would, he set up and whom he would, he put down. Nebuchadnezzar had total control of the nation. Nebuchadnezzar was able to bring other nations under his wing. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, 
he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. And they fed him with the grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Let's pray. Amen. So Nebuchadnezzar had respect for someone else's God. When we look in the book of Daniel, and we're going to look back at three things that happened, but Nebuchadnezzar had seen God working in the lives of Daniel, and he was renamed to Belteshazzar, but I'm going to call him Daniel. And the other three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had Jewish names, but it's just so much easier to say those three. They flow off your tongue. So he'd seen, he'd seen God work during instances here in the previous chapters in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. He'd seen the testimony of Daniel and the other three and in uh Look in uh, chapter number 1, verse number 19. In chapter number 1, Daniel and the others had purposed in their heart. They said, we're not going to eat the king's meat. Or they, you know, they asked permission not to have to eat the king's meat. They didn't want to defile themselves with pork and things like that because they had their diet that was specified by the law, and they wanted to stay close to God. The law dictated what they had to eat or what they could eat. And even though they were in captivity in another land, they purposed in their heart and they said, you know, we don't want to eat the king's meat. And the guy that was in charge of them said, but this is what the king has assigned to you. And he said, well, try us for 10 days and see if we're any worse off. Just give us vegetables. They call it pulse. Just give us vegetables. See if we're worse off. And he did that and they were healthier than all the rest of them. And uh, verse number 18, Daniel chapter number 1 says, now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all this realm. And Daniel continue, continued even unto the first year of Cyrus. So the king, whether he knew about the test or not, he had seen God, whether he knew it or not, he had seen God work in the lives of these young men. I tell you, when you purpose in your heart that you're going to follow God, there's blessings that follow whether you think it or not. And then over in chapter number 2, we see again, chapter number 2, verse 47. Daniel, when Daniel not only interpreted the king's dream, the king was troubled by a dream that he had of a giant statue, only he couldn't remember his dream. And he told all the magicians, I need you to interpret this dream. And they said, sure, king, sure, just tell us what it is. And the, the king said, no, you're going to have to tell me what it is. It's kind of like the psychics, you know? Why'd they go out of business? Okay, nobody gets that. It's an old joke. I know. You don't have to laugh at stupid ones. You go driving along the road, you know, and somebody's a psychic. You see, you know, 
future foretelling and all that, and then you see a realty sign stapped over the top of it. It's like, well, didn't they know that was going to happen? Didn't they know that was a bad location? But he said, you're going to have to reveal to me a dream and then interpret it. They said, well, nobody can do that except God. Daniel consulted with God. And when Daniel gave him the interpretation of the dream, Daniel 2.48, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors. Uh, Verse number 47, that's what I skipped. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. So here the king, through Daniel, saw God work. Because Daniel made it known that only God can interpret the dreams. So he gave God the glory, and the king saw God through Daniel. You know, it happens like that with us. If you're a, if you're a faithful disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, when God works in your life, there's somebody watching. There's somebody seeing it. But at this point, the king, he appoints him a governor, and he appoints the other ones uh, leaders, rulers over the province of Babylon, He sees God working them. He said, but pay attention to what he said in verse 37, verse 47. Of a truth it is that your God, your God, your God is a God of gods. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't own God at this time. And by own, I don't mean that he's taking possession. I mean taking possession. I mean he does not claim this God as his own. It's the God of Daniel. It's the God of these young Hebrew men. So in verse 48, then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. He put Daniel over his other governors and set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. In verse 49, it says Daniel requested the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So he made them leaders. Because he knew God was with him. And then, uh, the third time was when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow before the golden image. Now, this was a little more of a sign, miracle, and wonder. Because they were thrown into a fire and, and Nebuchadnezzar had lost his temper when they wouldn't bow down to the golden image. He said, light it ten times hotter. And when the men went up there, the soldiers grabbed them and they were putting them in there. That fire was so hot. You ever been near a grill that's really burning? This is 10 times worse, 100 times worse. They're standing by it, and it's so hot that as they throw them into the fire, these men lose their lives, and they die right there. The king's up there, and there's one part, and I just can't pass it up. He said, didn't we throw three men in the fire? He said, but I see four, and one of them is like the son of God. So... When that was done, and when they came out of the fire unscathed, not even smelling, didn't even have the burn of fire on them or or the smell of smoke, he made a decree promising to punish anyone who spoke against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now listen to what he said here in Daniel 3.28. He said, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Still not his God. Still not God, still not my God. He says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me ask you that. Before you were saved, or do you know somebody that just looks at your life, 
and says, well, you know, you, that, your faith, is, that's helping you. That's working out for you. They haven't laid claim to God. They haven't had that experience with Jesus Christ. Said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. He's seen God work in their lives and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sword. You know, when I was a kid, being an only child, y'all might know that by now, being an only child, but I remember in third grade, I loved reading. I, you know, I, when I got the Dick and Jane books, man, I was, I was getting them from the school, going through them. And it was such a cool thing to me, see Dick run, see Jane run, you know. People make fun of that now, but I learned how to read. And when I learned how to read, there was a whole, it was a whole world of knowledge. I mean, somebody takes the time to write a book, they want to say something to you, right? So when I was in third grade and my parents were split up, but I was in third grade and I wanted to learn about baseball. So I went to the school library and I picked up a couple books on baseball. I learned phrases for baseball, and I got an idea about running the bases and all that, and I read about it. But, you know, you can read about something in a book, but until you're out there on the field and they're throwing that ball at you or that ball is coming out to you in right field when you're asleep, guess how good I did in baseball? (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, they put the guy that needs the most work out there in the place where they're going to get used the least, you know? And then they wonder why he's asleep when it comes. I'm just saying. But, you know, I read those books. I learned phrases like ducks in a pond. Oh, yeah, you know, bases loaded. I I learned that stuff, you know, and I thought, yeah, I've learned something here. Third grade, you know, and then you get out there and you're learning baseball and you say ducks in a pond. Everybody just looks at you. Yeah, the book might have been from the 20s or something. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, you can read all about it all you want. You know, people have read through the whole Bible. We've talked about this before. People have read through the whole Bible and don't know God. Atheists know the Bible backwards and forwards. They can argue with you on it. Some of them, but they don't know God. They don't claim God as their own. And Nebuchadnezzar had seen God work in their lives. He'd seen him work in Daniel's life and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's life. He'd seen the miracle of them coming out of the fire, but he didn't own God. He said, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So until God got personal with Nebuchadnezzar, he was just their God. It wasn't his God. Once Nebuchadnezzar had a personal experience with God, it became a personal testimony and acknowledgement of who God really is. Look at uh, chapter number four. Chapter number four. And I said, this reads like a journal entry. I think it was a letter that was written that he sent out through all the provinces. And, and uh, uh, Babylon was one of the biggest nations. Of the, they had the world from end to end at the time. It says in verse number one, Nebuchadnezzar the king 
unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. Almost sounds like one of Paul's letters. He said, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And it sounds like it's a little personal now, doesn't it? He's acknowledging God's glory. He's acknowledging God's greatness. He said, uh, He said how his miracles here, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. He sees God's kingdom is eternal, superseding his. And the, his dominion is from generation to generation. And God's the same yesterday and today. God was king then, he's king now. And then he goes on to give his testimony. Now listen to what he says. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. Now, before I go any further, I want to make sure I got your mind right. I'm not saying that Nebuchadnezzar was saved by Jesus Christ. I don't know where Nebuchadnezzar is today, but I'm telling you that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, had an experience with God, and it woke him up to the wonders of God. Do you follow me on that? That's just my little disclaimer. Y'all follow me? I'm saying he had an experience with God. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't have anything to worry about. He might have had to worry about which nation he was going to conquer next, but he had his palace. He He said, I was at rest in my house. There's a lot of people that are comfortable with what they have. Everything's taken care of. They can pay the bills. They can meet this and they can meet that. They don't need God. They'll say God's just a crutch because they hadn't had any experience with God. And then one night, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And uh, he said, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and visions of my head troubled me. So we're looking at his personal experience, and he had this dream, and it troubled him. And then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation. We're not going to go deep into the dream, but he dreams about a tree that spans across and all the animals eat up under the, the branches. And he calls out Daniel. And uh, in this dream, uh, verse number 13, he said, I saw in, vid- in the visions of my head upon my bed and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven and he cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beast in the grass. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him, seven years. This matter is the decree by the watchers and the demand by the whole word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth, to, giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth, uh, setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. This whole time he's writing in the first person and he's telling his whole nation about this dream that disturbed him. 
Then Daniel comes in and he asks Daniel for the interpretation. And Daniel, Daniel's a little troubled. And he said, what's the matter, Daniel? And he said, oh, king, let this, be, let this dream be for one of your enemies, not you. And he said, tell me the interpretation. And he said, the tree is you. It's your mighty nation. It provides protection. It provides prosperity for all those under it. But there's going to come a season where you'll be eating grass like an ox. And you'll be out in the field seven times, seven years. And he said, uh, the tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven and the sight thereof all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had at their appetition. It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation. And he tells him what's going to happen to him. And... uh He tells them that whereas they, uh, verse number 26, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. (coughs) And then Daniel gives him the warning that this is going to happen. And he, he warns him on what to do about it. He says, verse 27, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. You know, in Sunday school this morning, we talked about God repenting and changing his mind. And uh, Jonah going into Nineveh, and they repented, and God changed his mind. He was going to destroy them. And when they all repented in sackcloth and ashes, God had mercy on them. And I think God gave an opportunity for Nebuchadnezzar to have mercy. I think there's a lot of people right now that God has given a warning to. God has used some instance, some circumstance in their life, and he said, this is it. This is when you need to turn around. We were talking about a cousin, Adides. He'd had his warning, the drinking, the driving, whatever, but having a wreck and almost dying, but coming out of that alive, he had his warning, but he didn't heed it. He kept going. And there was a second wreck like the first, except the second wreck he didn't come out of. And it's a sad thing when they've got the warning and they don't heed it. And King Nebuchadnezzar has been given a warning. And he says to put your sin away from you. Cling to righteousness. And he says to, he says to treat the poor equally. He says, thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Well, we had the dream, we had the warning, and we had the result. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, so one year later, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? So King Nebuchadnezzar's sin was pride. And we know the story, I think. King Nebuchadnezzar 
It said in verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee and they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen and seven times shall pass over thee until the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And the same hour was a thing fulfilled. So for seven years, the king of the nation of Babylon was crawling on all fours. His fingernails grew. His hair grew. He ate grass like an oxen. The Bible tells us this, and I forget the name of, you know, they, they've actually attached it. It actually happens, but it's beside the point here because this is God's judgment on him. And God had warned him of it. But his pride had lifted him up, had gotten in the way. It's not always pride. Sometimes it's some altar that someone needs to tear down. You know, the altar is something that gets in between you and God. It's something that needs to be torn down. You've been warned about it. Maybe God spoke to you through someone. God speaks directly to your heart and tells you this is it. This is the word. And you say, no, it's not. And you go on. But there comes a time when the judgment comes. So he had a personal experience. Imagine he lost his mind for seven years. And then he came to himself. He, he not like the prodigal son, but it said, uh, verse 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Well, let's see. He come, uh, verse 34, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Remember, this is a king writing about this. Maybe he's explaining why he was gone for seven years. But he's given the glory to God. He's in verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? A lot of people are saying, What doest thou? How can a loving God do this? How can you turn down a loving God? How can there be all this death and suffering? You know that even when a child dies, he's in God's hands? You know, we, we mourn here. At one, of the, one of the greatest funerals, or some of the greatest funerals I've done, not because I preach good, Whatever, you argue about that. But <laughs> one of the greatest times at a funeral is being able to say, you know, he's not here, but he's risen. He's in heaven. She's in heaven. They gave their life to Christ. And the question is, can somebody say that about you? Have you given your life to Christ? Because we don't have, we don't have a, a, a calendar given to us saying, you, know, you have up until this date. We've always put it off, put it off, put it off. The Bible said, behold, today is the day of salvation. And you say, well, I'm not clean enough. And the Bible says, all you that are weary and heavy laden, come. Jesus said, come, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. Turn it over to Christ. He's the one that does the changing. You don't clean yourself up. If you could clean yourself up when you got a judgment day, you could say, well, God, I did it. <coughs> verse got brought up this morning, one of my favorite ones. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're trying to clean yourself up for heaven, you're wasting your time. 
It's Jesus that does the cleaning. Turn yourself over to him. So the result was, when he got out of that, he looked up and he saw who was the ruler. He was broken from his pride. Everybody's got different sins. And it's when you're broken of that and you realize that God's in control. So he had a personal experience and there's personal reasons. Uh, Why does God get personal? Sometimes it's sin. With Nebuchadnezzar, it was his pride. Sometimes it's for someone else. Sometimes we have a personal experience with God because it's for someone else's benefit. When they see you go through something, you become a testimony for others. Joseph, when he was a child and he had dreams and his older brothers and he told them about the dreams and he said, You'll be, your stocks were bowing to mine. You know, basically saying that they were going to be bowing down to him. And they cast him out. They, they, they sold him off as a slave. They didn't like him. They did more than just pick on him and hang him from the flagpole. They sold him off as a slave. And he suffered. He worked for Potiphar, and he did the best that he could, and he suffered at the hands of Potiphar's wife, and he ended up in prison. And while he was in prison, he, he'd helped some guys through their dreams, and he said, just when you see Pharaoh, remind him. And they forgot all about him, and he, he languished in that prison. All that time, Joseph wondering, what am I here for? What did I do? But when the time came, when God used him, and he was on Pharaoh's right hand, and his family was coming to Egypt to get food, and he had messed with his brothers a little bit. He didn't let them know it was him right away, and they were bowing down to him. And when they found out, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, he's the one we sold. It's our brother. And they're glad to see him because they've regretted it ever since. But he tells them, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Sometimes it's for other people. Over in 2 Corinthians, you know, sometimes we go through something so we can minister to other people. Over in 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There may be something besetting you, weighing you, that you fight day in and day out, and that may be what helps you understand what somebody else is going through. You know, if you hadn't been through something, you don't understand what somebody else is going through. Sometimes it just has nothing to do whatsoever with you. Sometimes you're just caught up in what's going on, like Job. Job was a righteous man. He offered sacrifices for his children in case they might have sinned. But then Job lost everything because Satan was going to God, and he was saying, you know, has thou considered thy servant Job? And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, oh, just let me take some things away from him, see how he praises you. And uh, I'll sum it up in the Keith James. He said, praise God anyhow. He can protect you. Some personal lessons that you go through when you go through those trials. Number one is knowing that God's in control. When King Nebuchadnezzar looked up, he realized that God's kingdom was greater than his kingdom. Before he went through the experience, he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for my majesty, for my glory? 
And when God humbled him and broke him of his pride, he looked up and said, no, God, you're the one that gave it to me. You're the one that rules over all. No matter how much we think we're in control, we're really not. Kind of like the fellow that told me when he was counseling me for marriage or we were standing on watch and I was asking everybody about marriage and the one, the best advice I got, because I was thinking about getting married, the best advice I got, he said, well, as soon as you think you're in control of the marriage, you just lost it. As <laughs> soon as you think you're in control of everything, as soon as you think you got this Christian walk figured out, as soon as you think you got life figured out without God, you've already lost it. But it's no, no matter how much we think we're in control, we're really not. One of the other personal lessons is knowing that he can protect you through the storm. In Daniel 4.36, he said, At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me. The king had been crawling on all fours, hair grown, eating grass. Whenever they tried to talk to him, he just growled. Can you imagine that? Dealing with somebody like that? And all the counselors and all the men that see this, and it's just an embarrassment. And, and he's crawling around in the grass. Maybe they put him in a pasture there near the castle. But after seven years, he looks up, and they're in there, and they're cooking the lunch or whatever, and in comes the king walking. And he grabs the cloak, and he puts it around himself, and I think they just all look shocked. But his kingdom was still there for him after seven years. God preserved him. You know, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus Christ. That was the safest place to be in the storm, amen? Knowing that he'll protect you. It's better to be in God's hands than man's hands during a trial. Over in 2 Samuel 24, David had numbered Israel and he wasn't supposed to and God had declared a judgment and he gave him a choice. And uh, 2 Samuel 24, 11, for when, God, for when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thine land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. David said, if there's got to be a punishment, I want God to give it. I don't want the whipping to come from somebody else. Let daddy give it. So those personal lessons, going through those, he can protect you. He wants to teach you. Why do we go through it? He said, but Philippians 4.10, and sometimes it's to learn the lesson. Sometimes he wants to teach you something. Paul in Philippians, he said, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. He said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. I have learned. He didn't learn it from a book trying to read a book on baseball or something. He learned it from experience. He said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, we write that verse down, put it up on the visor in the car, put it up on something. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. You got this job interview. You got this. You know, you're going to file an app. Well, you got this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. But when you put it in context, you know how Paul could say that? Because <laughs> he went through some suffering. That's how he could say that. He didn't say that because he made more money or because he did this or that. Ever because he got a new car, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Because I remember, I remember when I was down in the gutter. I heard a preacher, he's up in San Francisco, he's got a ministry up there, and he talked about those times when he doubted himself. He talked about those times when he's in the corner in the fetal position. I'm talking about a street preacher. I'm talking about somebody that'll go out there and hold up signs near San Francisco. And I think about that now. You open up a Bible in San Francisco, I don't think it would roll too well. But he's up there, and he's got a ministry, and he's got people in it. But he, he talked about the struggles. He talked about the doubts that he went through. And he looks back, and he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Those personal lessons, it's a personal experience. And when God gets personal, you have a personal testimony. When you had a personal experience with God, you can truly have a personal relationship. In Daniel 4.37, he said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom, king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Let me ask you something. Do you have a personal testimony? God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And you may say, I know, I, I've had times in my life, there's, I've, I've come close. And I know God's hand was on me. I've heard people talk about it. I've heard how people talk about how God preserved them before they got saved. But you know, the point is, not that God approves of what's going on. It's that God wants you to come to his son. He's trying to show you something. You know, in our own lives. You say, well, I'm already a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. Well, I want you to know if you're going through a trial, it's safer in God's hands than it is in man's. Your trust is in God. And when you come out of the other side, you have a testimony that you can hang on to and you have a testimony that's visible to other people. But you need to have that personal relationship. That's the first step. You can go to church all you want. You can visit. You can read books. You can listen to sermons. You can sing praise. But unless you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, unless you've had that time where you said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Lord, I'm just asking you to take me as I am. God, I'm, I'm, I know that your son died on the cross for my sins. That's why he shed blood. That's why he took the whips on his back. That's why he took the crown of thorns on his forehead. That's why they, he let them, he let them, he let them nail him to that cross and they lifted him up. That's why he did that, to make the payment for your sins. You can't pay for your own sins except for death, except for an eternity in hell. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, 
that gift of mercy that he gives you, you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. Do you know that you know that you know? If you have doubt, you better settle it. There's a verse in the Bible, David says, there is but a step between me and death. And that's all we have is a step between us and death. If you'll rise.